Prasanna Sritharan. He's a PhD student in biomechanical engineering at the University of Melbourne, studying the relationship between musculoskeletal biomechanics and knee osteoarthritis. It seems like he uses himself as a test subject, loving triathlon and trail running. He's a Melbourne Storm tragic and believes firmly that everyone should cultivate a magnificent beard at least once in his or her life. <laughs> Prasanna. It's always uh, fun being number one. Uh, thanks for having me. I love uh, coming to the laboratory and uh, finally I uh, was asked to talk and uh, got really nervous and now I'm really scared. Um, my name's uh, Prasanna Sridharan um, and uh, yes, I'm a biomechanical engineer. I study human movement. Now, gait analysis uh, or the study of movement patterns is the foundation of uh, much of biomechanics. And this is uh, made possible by the process of motion capture. Now, motion capture actually has its roots in the arts, and it's about motion capture and its artistic history that I want to talk to you today about, and in particular, the contributions by one man. Now, you may not have heard the name, but you may have heard the story. His name was a bloke, well, his name wasn't a bloke, but he was a bloke called by the name of Edward Mybridge. Curiously spelt E-A-D, W-E-A-R-D, in the fashion of the 10th century English king, Edward the Martyr. Now, history could not have conjured up a more flamboyant and bizarre crank whose action-packed life encompassed uh, drama, great swings of fortune, and much adventure, and at least five name changes. He was the quintessential English, English uh, eccentric with a fierce, deep-set eyes and a mop of white hair. He was the original hipster with a long, flowing, tobacco-stained beard running all the way down to his belly. Now, let me set a scene. Imagine, if you will, California, 1878. America is in a, in a frenzy of growth and technological fervour. Innovation, industrialization, progress. San Francisco had exploded from a village of 405 people to a massive city of almost 56,000 in less than 10 years. Railroads were being laid at the rate of tens of miles per day. Edison had just patented his, his improved incandescent bulb and the phonograph was bringing concerts into the, into the lounge room. And just seven years later, Dr. Emmett Brown would be transported to the year 1885 in a time machine made from a DeLorean. That's a true story. Now, some way away at a racing stables in, a town, uh, in Palo Alto, uh, on a warm morning on the 15th of June, 1878, a crowd of newspaper men and racehorse fanciers had gathered to watch a spectacle. The stables was owned by uh, one Leland Stanford, tycoon, governor, and yes, founder of that university. Stanford um, had hired Mybridge to answer one of the most fiercely contested debates of the time. And he was on the verge of putting that, uh, settling that problem once and for all. Now, Stanford and Mybridge opened the day. Um, uh, Stanford and Mybridge, 
opened the day by... Lost my spot. Yes. Stanford and Mybridge opened the day by showing off their vast experimental setup, which was basically a rudimentary gate, gate laboratory. They had a vast white shed that w followed the length of a track and had a uh, waist-level um, hole sticking across its entire length. Out of that window um, stuck out 12 cannon-like um, massive cameras. On the opposite side was a white backdrop with painted vertical lines at 21-inch intervals. There was a hushed silence as Stanford's prized train, uh, tr uh, trotter horse, the Abe Edgington, driven by his master trainer, Calvin, uh, Charles Marvin, sped down the track, pulling a two-wheeled cart known as a sulky. This was the culmination of five years of research, trial, error, and tragedy. Across the horse's path, were 12 fine wires. Sorry, I can't see because the line's was really bad. <laughs> Each connected to a different camera. When the wheel rolled over one of the wires, it completed an electrical circuit which triggered the, the attached camera. So as the cart sped past, the shutters fired in quick succession like a cannon. Bang, 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 bang. And then as quickly as it began, it was over. Born Edward James Muggeridge in uh, Kingston-upon-Thames on April uh, 9th, 1830, to a family of inventors and engineers, Edward, originally spelt uh, the normal way, was one of four brothers and the cousin of one Norman Self, the renowned Sydney engineer. At the age of 20, he migrated to the United States, uh, living first in New York and then in San Francisco where he sold antiquarian books under the name Mugridge. This was the first of many, many name changes. Sometime in the 1860s, he was traveling across Texas on his way to England to buy more books, when the stagecoach he was in had a serious accident and he was ejected head first from the, from the coach and hit his head, uh, hit head on onto the ground. Mugridge was in a coma for almost nine days. And when he awoke, he, for almost three months afterwards, he could not hear, smell, or taste, and suffered terribly from double vision. In true American fashion, he sued the stagecoach company, and with the, uh, with the payout, he spent his time recuperating in England, where he learned the photographic arts from his friend, um, Arthur Brown. Upon returning to San Francisco, he promptly abandoned his book business and reinvented himself as the Californian hero photographer slash adventurer Helios, what is it? Oh, Helios, the flying studio, yes. He was a different man. Gone was a conservative businessman and entrepreneur. On his expeditions, he would do stupid things. He would dangle precariously from cliffs, stand up on little fingers of rock, and get way, way too close to the, to the wildlife, all for his newfound passion. As Thomas Edison would later say, this man is insane. A genius, but completely insane. Now, he was not known at the time, but his um, change in personality showed all the hallmarks of severe damage to the frontal lobe of the brain. Now, Mybridge's reputation grew, and it grew fast, eventually catching the eye of that nefarious Republican and wannabe country gentleman, Leland Stanford. Through, although horses were, were part of Leland's uh, Stanford's life, um, he, was only, he was very new to the uh, very elite world of horse racing.
And in an attempt to cement his, uh, his reputation, he took a stand on one of the fiercest debates of the day. And that was, does a trotting horse ever lift all four of its hooves off the ground at, at any one time? Many suggested that horse flight, or unsupported, unsupported transit as it was known, was impossible, because surely a trotting horse would collapse without the support of at least one of its legs. But Stanford insisted otherwise, claiming that he'd actually seen all four legs in the air. Of course, this is impossible because in reality, the motion is so fast and so fleeting that you can't actually see it. The human eye is too slow. So in 1872, motivated by a $25,000 uh, wager, Stanford hired Mybridge um, to settle the question once and for all. Now today, this may seem trivial with our iPhones and our Veritasim videos and whatnot, but uh, at the time, it was a very technically challenging problem. Cameras of the day often took um, several minutes just for a single exposure. Shutters were too slow and relying often on the photographer manually opening and closing the lens cap and then counting one Mississippi, two Mississippi, until the required exposure time was complete. Mechanical shutters were just coming in, but, at, but, the, but the film itself was, was really lacking. Um, they were often made on the spot by pouring a liquid, a syrupy liquid called wet collodion onto a glass plate and then priming it with silver nitrate. It was 300 times less sensitive than modern films and extremely explosive. Now, Mybridge uh, knew the technicalities of photography and initially declared the task completely impossible. But this didn't stop him trying. After a series of failures, uh, he rigged a crude shutter made of two slats, um, tripped by a string placed across the track. When a horse broke this string, um, the two slats um, on, moved in opposite directions and briefly exposed the film. But the results weren't good enough. The shutter speed was still way too fast for the film that was being used at the time. Now another sidetrack. Before he met Stanford, Mybridge had married young Flora Shalcross-Stone, a 21-year-old divorcee, half his age. In 1874, while taking a break from his uh, motion studies, he travelled around California on yet another photo photographic expedition, during which time his young wife had their first child, or their only child, Florado Helios Mybridge. Now, it was around this time that Flora made the acquaintance of a, of a young... Uh, oh, he was older than her, but a, a major Harry Larkins, former British Army major, and uh, a former British Army ma major turned San Francisco theatre critic. Larkins was everything Mybridge was not. Young, dashing, and charming. A kind of Lord Flashheart to Mybridge's Edmund Blackadder. <laughs> Hooray! <laughs> that was bad. <laughs> Becoming suspicious of Larkins' friendship, uh, Mybridge sent his wife and his young child to live with Flora's mother. But one day, he actually intercepted, or was given, a letter that was on its way, that was from Flora and on its way to Harry Larkins. Inside the letter was a photo of his young child, under which Flora had written the words, Little Harry. Mybridge openly wailed and cried and collapsed in grief, and then promptly jumped up and, as we would say today, determined that he would bust a cap in his ass. Now, Larkins was, at the time, working in Calistoga in, in Napa County, some 75 miles north of San Francisco. 
Mybridge travelled on a train and a wagon, arriving at Larkin's Hotel on the evening of the 8th of 18th of October, 1874. As Larkins came down the hallway, um, came down the hallway towards the front door, Mybridge jumped up and said, Good evening, Major. My name is Mybridge, and here is the answer to the letter you gave my wife. And then he pulled out a pistol and promptly shot him in the heart point blank. And then in true Mybridge fashion, handed the gun over to the innkeeper, profusely apologised to the card players for interrupting their game, and awaited his arrest. Upon receiving the news, Leland Stanford organised and paid for um, Mybridge's defence. Uh, his lawyers claimed insanity owing to the brain uh, injury occurring during the stagecoach accident. But the jury eventually uh, threw out the insanity plea and um, instead ruled that it was justifiable homicide. <laughs> it's the 19th century. Um, and his case was thrown out. However, um, I'll see if I can find the spot again. However, uh, Marbridge, who was absolutely devastated by his wife's um, betrayal, which uh, ironically um, probably wasn't because his son grew up to look very much like himself. Um, he was so devastated that he went on a trip to Venezuela where he reinvented himself as the dashing Latino Americano hero photographer adventurer Eduardo Santiago and for two years toured the, uh, toured the Americas. Eventually in 1877, Marbridge uh, returned to California to resume his horse motion studies. By that time, experimenting with new photographic techniques, um, he was able to take ever sharper photos using very much less uh, exposure times. And on that momentous evening in June 1878, um, momentous morning, sorry, June 1878, Mybridge's state-of-the-art camera setup managed all 12 shots within half a second. Within 20 minutes, Mybridge had developed the negative, or developed the plates, and was showing to a fascinated audience the answer to the problem. To these astonished faces were two plates showing the, the horse with all four legs undisputably in the air in the unsupported transit that everyone had so denied. These photographs were a runaway hit. Marbridge Stanford, the Marbridge-Stanford collaboration was an international phenomenon. Scientific American uh, published drawings of those photos that October and they, was, and they were introduced to France later that year by the French journal La Nature. Even the artists were caught up in the frenzy because the, works, the work of Marbridge had led to, or had laid bare all the mistakes that the sculptors had, and painters had made in their renderings of the various postures of the horse. It is impossible to comprehend the magnitude of the achievement, capturing for the first time the history, in, first time in history, the ephemeral details the eye couldn't pick out at such speeds, including the position of the legs, the, the tail, and even the whip. The world had experienced the first true use of a motion capture technique to answer a fundamental question in animal locomotion. Now, by this time, Mybridge had also invented the zoopraxiscope. This strange and sounding thing was just a disc that spun round and round and projected pictures onto a wall. But it was the forerunner for the motion picture, uh, motion picture camera, uh, motion picture projector, sorry. And that, in, that is a whole story unto itself. 
Now, in 1883, after a very public falling out with Stanford, he received an invitation from the University of Pennsylvania to carry on his studies in human, human and animal motion. There, using a superior gel gelatin dry plate process, a 36 camera apparatus, and a newly developed electromechanical release timer, he produced over 100,000 uh, sequence photographs of animals and usually nude humans in motion doing pretty much everything unimaginable. From the routine to stair climbs and jumping and sports activities, uh, to the bizarre, full frontals of nude men throwing uh, tennis rackets around and throwing picks into wood. And then there was the completely bonkers, the series he entitled, Chickens Being Scared by a Torpedo. <laughs> yes, he fired a torpedo at some chickens to see what they would do. And finally, he also pioneered the use of a grid background from which we can do some rudimentary kinematics and then would be able to compare uh, motion between subjects. And as such, his work became a standard, for, standard reference for both scientists and artists. Mybridge eventually moved back to England, um, to his home village of Kingston-upon-Thames, where in 1904, true to his uh, oddball ways, he died while trying to dig a scale model of the North American Great Lakes in his backyard. <laughs> and if that wasn't the end of it, don't go looking for his grave because you won't find it. His ashes were inexplicably interred under the new name of Maybridge. Now today the use of motion capture is routine, but all this would not have been possible without the inventive genius of one Edward Maybridge who in 1898 declared that, we have become so accustomed to seeing the galloping horse in art that it imperceptibly determined our understanding. And we think of this representation to be unimpeachable until we have thrown off all preconceived impressions to one side and seek the truth by independent observation from nature herself. Thank you. <laughs>